How would you answer that question? Do we all know people that need to know Jesus? And there may be some people in here today that need to know who Jesus is. That need to accept what Jesus has done. And think really hard on that. Because it's so much more important than if your stomach is growling and you're wishing... You know, we've got a lot of things running through our heads right now. Ask the Lord to clear your mind and give you an understanding of a very simple, very simple, very simple message this morning. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 16. And the title of this message is A Question Demands an Answer. A Question That Demands an Answer. Have you, ever been, have you ever been asked a question that demanded an answer? Something like, young man, young lady, when are you going to clean your room? <laughs> that kind of demands an answer, doesn't it? Or, may I take your order? That kind of demands an answer, doesn't it? But there's a more important question than any other question that there is. We're going to talk about that question this morning. And it's the question that a jailer asked a couple of men of God. And it demanded an answer. And it was a very important question. And it demanded a conclusive answer. Not an answer that left things open to interpretation or left uh, loopholes and segues out of, out of doing what it said. He needed a clear and concise answer. It was an important question that demanded an important Answer, And you know, through this story, we get a better understanding of the simplicity of salvation. You know, there are so many ways that the enemy tries to confuse us on the simple message of salvation to the point that we're almost afraid to tell people what salvation is because we're not 100% sure ourselves what it is or how we got there. And sometimes we know that we know that we know, but then sometimes as the, as the days go by and circumstances happen, sometimes we're a little iffy on, on certain things. And the Lord knew that we would be like that. And so that's one of the reasons why we have this, so that we can go back to this and look at what he said, because what he said never changes. And he put in here too, just really simple and clear for us to understand. It couldn't be any clearer. These things have I written that you may know. Not hope or guess or anything like that. I've written these things so that you may know. So that you... Now this book of Acts is such a, it's such a good book in the Bible. They're all good. But one reason why this one is so good is up to this point, we've already seen four people get saved or converted to become followers of Jesus. And in this, in this book, we, we have seen uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Some of us, many of us, maybe all of us remember that story. You've got Saul of Tarsus, who was a Jew. We've got Cornelius, who was a Gentile. We've got Lydia, who we find out earlier in this chapter, the Lord opened up her heart to receive his message. And then we got this guy, this Philippian jailer. 
And we see him change from a, from a, a cruel and heartless individual into a humble follower of Jesus. So let's take a look at this scripture. Acts chapter 16. And previous to this, see Paul and Silas preaching. And at once, once, one day as they were preaching, a woman, a young woman who was considered a fortune teller, who had a spirit of divination inside of her, proclaimed that these were men of God who had come to proclaim the way to salvation. And they kind of ruined it for this girl's masters because they got money off of her. And the message that Paul and Silas brought kind of messed everything up and caused disruption. And when you mess with somebody's pocketbook or wallet or bank account, you better watch out, right? You better watch out. So let's look at this as we get into this. This after that has happened, we get into verse number 20. And they've been brought to the magistrates saying, these men being Jews, that's a very condescending way to say that, do exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. We're Romans. They're Jews. They're running their mouth about stuff we don't want to hear about or need to know about. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat, to beat them. Now, when somebody ripped their clothes, it was on, wasn't it? In the Bible, if you ripped your clothes. If we rip our clothes today, we go, oops, and we run home and change into something else. No big deal. But it was a big deal back then. And they commanded for Paul and Silas to be beaten. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. What had Paul and Silas really done? The right thing. They had done what Jesus told them to do. They were just doing the right thing and they were doing it to help people. And look how the world treats them. They laid many stripes upon them and they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, we know the story, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God because that's what people who have been arrested and beaten and love the Lord and preach the message and get thrown into jail and put into chains do. They pray and they sing praises to the Lord. We are a strange and peculiar people, aren't we? We're the ones who have trouble, circumstances, difficulties, bad news, and yet we still have joy because our joy is not in our circumstances. Our joy that's, that is deep within us and that sustains us comes from who? Comes from God, comes, comes from the Lord. And so they sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. How great that the prisoners heard them. They didn't sing like we do sometimes. Jesus loves me, this I know. Boy, they reared back and let her go. Okay, so verse number 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. So many things happened in this one verse. And they could have all gone in a different direction. Things could have been completely different than they did. 
And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had, had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God, with all his house. What a, what a cool story. <laughs> that is a great, great story. With a great question that this man asked. And the circumstances of his salvation are so great, so precious, and they've got such important information for us. So let's take a look at it and let's dive into it a little bit this morning. Let's take a look first at the people who he asked this question of. And that was the servants of God, the men of God, Paul and Silas. They had been thrown and they had been arrested. They had been beaten, cruelly beaten. And then they were thrust into an underground dungeon. After they had had many stripes put upon them, the magistrates told the jailer to keep the prisoners secure, maybe because they intended to do even worse to them later. Who knows what their intentions were? And so the jailer does what he is asked and he, he really shows his character. And you sometimes miss this if you don't look closely and pay attention. He, sh he showed his character not by just putting them in an inner prison, but he thrust them in. You've all seen the, the movies and the TV shows of people when they're arrested and the, the person doing the arresting doesn't just open the door and say, if you'll just walk right in here, please. They don't do it. They shove them in there. But it wasn't just any prison. They were thrust into a hole in the ground, an underground place, a dark place, a windowless place. And then they were put in chains. You know, could there be anything any worse? I mean, I'm sitting in the dark, chained, and with, without being able to see, you don't know who or what is crawling around with you in there. And I know some of you, if that were you, you I know what you're thinking right now, but we're not going to discuss that. But he put them there. He thrust them there, that dark and windowless place, and they were put in chains. And so who, who were Paul and Silas? We, we know who they are, but, but what do we learn about them through what we've read in these verses. There were some charges made against them. Now you've already said, when I asked that question, what did Paul and Silas do? And I heard somebody say nothing. And absolutely, they didn't do anything that wasn't with the intention of helping the people that heard what they had to say. Because they knew that people who were lost needed to hear the life-saving message of Jesus Christ and they were gonna proclaim it. And they proclaimed it out in the open for everybody to hear what better way 
to spread the word because you know when somebody stands up and starts telling stuff in a public place, they're either so loud that everybody can hear them or people start talking and it spreads around like wildfire. But there was a discriminatory charge made against them. Remember, they were Jews around Romans and Romans worshiped gods and Jews worshiped a God and Jews were, it's almost like a bad word. You know how that works. They were not like the Romans and they were trying to turn people from the gods of Rome. So they were, there was a discrimination against them. But they were also charged adding a riot. They were making trouble in the city. That's what they were accused of. Instigating trouble, instigating a riot. They were disturbing the peace. They were sowing discord. There's many ways to say it. But they, they, they were causing trouble and something had to be done. And then there was also a religious charge made against them because the teaching that they were spreading was considered to be unlawful by those that heard it. They were interfering with the state's public worship. How dare they? How dare they do this thing? And the people were angry against the apostles for what they were saying. They taught a religion that was destructive of polytheism, which is worshiping more than one God. They were, telling some, they were teaching something that taught against idolatry, which was a big deal as well. And they were preaching for people to turn from this way and turn to Christ. Doing a great thing, doing what they were commanded by Jesus to do, doing what he had commissioned them to do, doing what all of us should be doing, sharing the news of Jesus Christ. And so these charges that were against them are really ludicrous, especially when you think about the fact that if these missionaries had not come in and messed up the, the money-making situation that they had with this fortune teller, they probably would have let these men go on and, and preach and just said, well, they'll come and they'll go and nothing of it. And we'll just keep doing what we're doing. But he messed things up for them. Stirred, stirred things up, messed with their pockets, uh, po pocketbooks, and messed with their, with their wallets. So they were concealing the fact that they were really upset about that, but they, they did it under the guise of uh, religious and riotous and really racist charges that they made against these two Jews. But let's take a look at what they were said to know. What did these men say that they knew? Well, the jailer wasn't ignorant of the message that they were proclaiming because I'm sure word got around and he probably had heard what these men were saying. Maybe a little seed had been planted in his hearing the truth. Have you ever thought about that? Just talking about Jesus? Just sharing with with a person or a group of people, what the Lord has done in your life, planting a seed. Maybe the seed's already been planted, so you're watering it a little bit. But he had to know what was going on. The whole town was filled with the facts about this case and what had happened, including the fact that this young girl that was, supposed, that was, that was possessed by a spirit of divination, even she said, these men are the servants of God which show unto us the way of salvation. And so these words proclaimed 
not only that these men were of God, but it also proclaimed the message of salvation. And what she said, it proclaimed the message of salvation that they had come to tell. She, she was almost like the reporter or the person that was introducing everyone to who this was. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul and Silas, servants of God who have come to show us the way to salvation. And so he had heard something about their mission. He had heard something about these men around town. But at this point, didn't really mean much to him. He had a job to do. He was a jailer. He kept people in jail. It was his responsibility to look after those that were in prison. And so pretty much didn't really care what they were here to do because he was here to do something. He was here to do a job. But then something really incredible happened. There was an earthquake. Now God chooses to work in mysterious ways. I don't know if I, had, if I was in charge of the, of the direction of this story I don't know if I would have brought an earthquake into the story. I mean, why an earthquake? But that's what God, that's the way God chose. God knows what he's doing. I mean, just take a look around at the earth that he created. He knows what he's doing. Look how you are able to stay plant, planted firmly on the ground instead of flying up into the air because of all that gravity. He knows what he's doing. He's got that all figured out. And I don't know if you thought about this much, but at some point, people are on the bottom part because since it's round, everybody can't be on the top. Some people are on the sides and on the bottom. Why aren't people falling off? <laughs> That's a message for another day. He, but he's figured all that out. He knows exactly what he's doing. And so this earthquake, this mighty earthquake comes in and it makes the building shake and rock and and then despair gripped him because he realized that all the doors were open. Now, in any other prison at any other time throughout history, if a prison full of prisoners found that all the doors were unlocked, can you tell me what's going to happen? Are people going to sit around? Well, I just don't know. I should probably stay here because I haven't really served my full sentence yet. No. It's just amazing. It's amazing what happened. And he was responsible for all of these prisoners. So if even one of them escaped, much less all of them, or much more all of them, I'm not real sure how I'm supposed to say that, he was going to be in trouble. His life, his existence was in trouble. So the thing that went through his mind, and I'm sure I know who put that idea there, the enemy. He drew that sword and he was prepared to kill himself. But then he heard some words that he probably never expected to hear in a situation like that. Just amazing. Hey, don't hurt yourself. Everybody's still here. Just think about how amazing that is. How things are working out. How the Lord just, how everything is just working out there. Don't hurt yourself. We are all here. He probably never would have imagined that he would hear any words because everybody should have been gone. But those words he probably never imagined. And in hearing those words, now listen, let your mind work through this. In hearing those words, he knew that there was something different about these guys. Something different. You know, when you walk through 
life and you're hit with catastrophe and trouble and, and, and disappointment, but you're still able to praise the Lord and have joy in your life and heart, it's, it confounds the loss because they cannot figure you out. It's either, they're probably thinking either they're crazy, they're crazy. Or if I were them, I would just be devastated. I would be flat on the ground. They just can't, there's something different about you. And you know there is something different about you. You are not who you used to be. You are different. And you are not like the people of this world who don't know the Lord. You're a new creation. You have a new heart. The old has passed away and the new has come. And this was evident in the circumstance that could have brought this jailer to suicide and to death. But he knew that there was something different about these guys. And I wonder is if as he heard those words, something else crossed his mind, something that he had heard earlier, something like these men are the servants of the Most High God and they have come to show us the way to salvation. Think about it. If, if there's something different about these guys, then he's going to start backing up in his memories the things that he knows about them. What do I know about these guys? They're from God. And they know the way to salvation. And so I think at that point, he knew that he must know the way. He had to know the way and he had to know from them because of all the people that he had come across in his life up to that point, and you know if he's a jailer and responsible for that many people and those many things, he had to be older than 18 maybe. I don't know how old he was. But he was old enough to know things and he was old enough to have come across a lot of people in his life. But this was something different than he'd ever heard before. He wanted to know the way to salvation. And I, as we, we travel through this, I keep going back to Paul and Silas and their reaction to everything that was going on. Now, how, how are we, when we're serving the Lord and trying to be obedient to the things that he's called us to do, we just get really upset and confounded because things just are not working out like we thought they should. You know, I came here to tell people about Jesus and everybody's making fun of me. And nobody will listen to what I have to say. And people are pointing at my character flaws and saying, well, if you're a Christian, then they're a dime a dozen. You know, why is this, why is this happening? You know, and, and we, get, we get uncomfortable. Uh, do we get uncomfortable when we're in church? And I do not see that here. Let me say that. But in some places, it might be that when a visitor comes in and they plop down in a seat, or sit down in a seat. We don't all plop, do we? Sit in a seat. I should take a vote. Who all plops? No, I'm just kidding. And they sit close to us. And we're like, so-and-so is going to get upset because they're sitting in their seat. Maybe I should tell them they need to move. You know, it's, it's amazing how situations come up and we get frustrated. And then we think about Paul and Silas here and they were walking into a town and, and you know, they got beat up and they got thrust into a, a hole in the ground and they got put in chains and they're down there praising the Lord and praying. Even today, 
thousands of years later, it's, it's, it's confounding, isn't it? Because we're, we're thinking, should I tell my neighbor I go to church? Should I invite them to church? Because I, I know that when I leave, they're at home, and when I come back, they're still there. So they probably don't go to church. Should I invite them to church? I'll just wait and see what happens. 10, 20 years later, we're asking the same question. I wonder if they go to church. And we don't want to do things that are uncomfortable for us. Or maybe we do want to do them, but we're just choosing not to because it seems too hard. Because I think the fact that the question even pops into your head is a clue that you really want to talk to them. Because, you know, he put that desire in your heart. You have that new heart, different than what it used to be. These guys showed confidence and peace in a situation where most people would have collapsed. And they seemed to have a better hope than any other person he had ever seen. So let's take a look at the problem that he had, the question that he asked. He asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Now let's, let's dig into that for just a minute. He knows that he needs to be saved. He knows that he needs to be saved. He wants to be saved. And he seeks to find out what he must do to be saved. Which brings us to the conclusion that we must know that we need it to be ready to receive it. We must know that we are lost. We must know that we are sinners and that our sin will send us to hell. We must know that we need to be saved from something. And this jailer knew that because of everything that had happened. And I think clarification on things came later because you know it talks about how he went, they went to his house and they discussed the things of the word of God. But your life, the way you live your life, the words that you say, the way that you represent God, you may be thinking, oh, no, I'm not doing good. I'm not doing good. But you know what? You never know what, what kind of influence you've had. And if you feel like you need to have a better influence, then here's your encouragement. Have a better influence. If you're doing something you know you don't need to be doing, stop doing it. If there's things you need to be doing, Start doing them. It's that simple. We know we need to forgive people when they've done things to us, when they've said things to us. Choose to forgive and be free. And don't let bitterness, you know, have its way with you. You know, we talked about that last week. If you know what's right, do what's right. If you know what's wrong, don't do what's wrong. Because he saw something different in Paul and Silas. And because of the words that had been used and the comments that had been made and the experiences that, that he had been through, all of that was working to an, to an end that was going to change everything. So he knew that he needed to be saved and he wanted to be saved. And so he asked, what must I do to be saved? Now think about what he didn't ask. He didn't ask, well, what must I do to join the church? He didn't ask that question, did he? Nope. 
He didn't ask, what must I do to be a good person? He didn't ask that question. Nope. He didn't say, what must I do to be a religious person? He didn't ask that question either. His question was very clear. What must I do to be saved? He had an understanding that he didn't need church membership. He didn't need to be religious and he didn't need to be a good person. He needed to be saved. Do you need to be saved? I believe that if you do, you know, you know it right now. I believe that the truth that we've already talked about has spoken to your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that if you're not saved, you know that you need to be. And you know what? The good news is you can be. You absolutely can be. And you might be terrified of those words, but trust me, the decision to follow Jesus is the best decision that you will ever make. And it will take care of an abundance. It will take care of everything that you need taken care of in your life. And you will still have trouble. We all have trouble. In this world, we will have trouble. But we're told here, take heart. He has overcome the world. I think if we are not saved here this morning, I think that we know that. As he asked these questions, I think there was a new respect and a new awe in his words. I think before he was rough and gruff, get in there, sit still while I put these chains on you. Who do you think you are coming in here and messing up our town? And then a complete turnaround. What must I do? to be saved. Look at the way he came in verse 29. He called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. What more do we need to see or hear that we knew, we know that this man needed salvation and he wanted it. He came trembling. He called for a light. When someone is in darkness and wants to get out of darkness, one of the first things they look for is a light to help them get out of the darkness. And you know, he knew that his, he, he had to know even in that moment that his narrow escape from death was related to these men. If he had not heard the words, don't hurt yourself, we're still here. Even that was just getting him closer and closer to understanding and hearing what he needed to hear that day. So he fell at their feet. He was overcome with awe and gratitude. And what a great miracle that earthquake was. What a great miracle the shaking of that earth was. But there was an even greater miracle because this man was shaken, wasn't he? He was shaken by everything that had happened. Every, everything had been planned out, I believe and was going according to God's plan. He was saved from death. There was no danger of death because the prisoners were there. And he was awed by what had happened and how it had happened. And he was aware that these men had preached a new religion and a new salvation. And so he asked that question, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? And then finally, we look We've looked at the, the people who were accused. We looked at the man who asked the question. Now let's take a look at the person in whom he was asked to trust. I think you know where that 
where we're going here. <laughs> he said, what must I do to be saved? Do. That's a powerful word, do. That's a verb, do. But all the, listen, all the doing has already been done. All the doing that needed to be done has already been done. <laughs> because Jesus did it all. He came, he lived his life, he died his atoning death, he rose again, he made a way to the Father. There's only one way to the Father, Father God, and that is through Jesus Christ. He was not told to go and do something in order to be saved because he was instead told to look at the one who had done it all. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now there is a directness here and a simplicity here that we do not appreciate. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple, plain, direct, brief, uniquely beautiful way to salvation. The answer was given, I think, quickly and in very few words. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And this, this answer stands apart from all the other religions and all the other trains of thought that the world will tell you is your way to salvation. You don't have to take class have to give so much money to the church. You don't have to go through a grooming period everything that you must stop doing and then you have to stop doing it before you become acceptable to receive the salvation. We don't have to go through that process. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. There are so many complex ways to heaven that the world has to offer and other religions will give us. And I'm gonna tell you something else and I've, I've thought about this and I want you to hear this. Believing is not a matter of human effort. Believing is not a matter of effort, but rather it is in ceasing from our efforts and relying on God alone. Ceasing from thinking it's what I do how I live, what I'm responsible for, and relying or trusting in God alone. There is salvation in no other. And there is no other way to salvation. Everything else in this life, you have to work for, don't you? You gotta work for it. You gotta strive for it. You gotta pay for it. And if it's of any value, it takes so much to get your hand on it. And then sometimes after you get your hands on it, you can lose it. But salvation is, is, is different than anything else because what, what has needed to be done for salvation has already been done. You remember the finished work of Christ? The completed work of Christ? Nothing more to do. It's all been done. Believe 
on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This man, through his experience, through hearing what these men had to say, through everything that took place that day and, and, and maybe days before, he was brought to a point where he knew he Lord. Do you know you need the Lord this morning? And you've never just said, I want the Lord to save me. I am a sinner and I want him to take my sin and cast it as far as the east from the west. I want to be saved. I want to know that I'm going to heaven because I know that I'm not saved and I can't live this way anymore. I want what I see the people around here at what they've got. And I don't see perfect people who never make a mistake, but I see people who have something that I don't have and I want that. And that's, that's where this man was. He wanted something. These men were different and he wanted what they had. And so when we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we believe on Jesus, what we're doing is we're denying salvation by work. We're not saved by our works, by what we do. When we believe, we are discrediting salvation by good character. Surely good men, nice men who do good things will be saved. Again, human effort, it's not human effort. To believe declares salvation by trust. I'm not trusting in me. I'm not trusting in what I have done. You know, as I was growing up, my parents had things for me to do. They told me to do certain things, asked me to do something. I needed to do it. And I felt like that when I did what I was asked to do, that maybe they loved me just a little bit more than they did my older brother, who, who always seemed to do everything right. <laughs> I'm not putting that pressure on you. Thanks. And we're not going to talk about that this morning. But, you know, I wanted, I wanted to please them. And, but then when I, and in my mind, when I was disobedient, I had lost something maybe that, that I had when I was being obedient. And, you know, there's that struggle. And, and, and we begin, to, we, we begin to, to put that on every relationship that we have to where we have to, we have to try to get people to like us and appreciate us and love us. And then we're in good and everything's fine. But the minute that something goes wrong, everything's changed and everything's bad. So we've got to work harder to get it back to the way that it was. But with Jesus, he's already done everything. We put our trust in him and everything is settled and everything is good forever. And he will always love me tomorrow, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, just as much as he loves me right now. Just as much as he loved me before I accepted him for myself. He loves us. And so he sees me in my mistakes and the trouble that I have. And he knows he has a better way for me to live. And I've made bad choices. But he also knows that he died on the cross to take care of that disobedience in my life. And because I have a new heart and those desires that he's put in me, I know when I've done wrong. He's given me the Holy Spirit so I know what's right and I know what's wrong. And sometimes I still do what's wrong. But the relationship that he and I have is that I can come to him and I can say, I am sorry. 
I know that it was wrong. Lord, the next time that temptation or that opportunity arises, help me to remember what you have given me, everything I need for life and godliness. That's what scripture says. And that I can turn from that and I don't have to do it. Help me to remember what you did, what you did for me and that what I'm getting ready to do is something that you had to die to pay for. Lord, give me, give me that understanding. Remind me of these things. And that's why it's so important daily for us to talk to the Lord because we have that communication with Him. And those thoughts are in our head and we're remembering what's right and what's wrong. Gosh, I could just talk all day. But I'm going I'm to shut up. I want you to bow your heads.